0: If you have a Bible, you can actually turn to Matthew 13. We'll look at verses 31 through 33 this morning. <clears throat> We're not looking at what's printed in the tech in the in the bulletin on the next page. Uh, changing things up, like I said um, earlier, there's a, a few errors in the bulletins. I apologize for the confusion about the last-minute scripture readings and uh, sermon text changing. I was preparing for the next message, the passage that is printed there, John 16, <clears throat> uh, the next passage in John's gospel, and realized on Friday that it would work perfectly for an Easter sermon instead, so uh, pushing it back a week. And um, so this passage that we're going to look at, Matthew 13, uh, it isn't exactly a standard Palm Sunday text. We did just look at what is sort of the standard Palm Sunday text, the triumphal entry in John's gospel just a few months ago. So, um, I know none of you remember that, but I remember it, so we're going back a little, a little ways uh, to Matthew 13. So we're looking at these two short parables that Jesus gives us, uh, parables about the kingdom, uh, because Jesus is aware of the fact that his kingdom is strange, kind of like this morning. His kingdom is strange. That is sort of a Palm Sunday theme, so that's what we're going to look at. Uh, let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, we pray that you would help us as we come now to consider your word. Grant us your spirit so that we can know you, know your love for us, know the shape of it in Christ, know what your kingdom is like and what it is not like, um, so we might better be able to trust you and live with you by faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus put another parable before them Till it was all leavened. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. Um, It's a couple of very short, very interesting parables, I think. Um, People are notoriously bad at assessing the state of the church, the state of the kingdom, the state of God's kingdom. It's hard for us to uh, interpret how that's going, how to uh, assess and judge. uh, Pastors are especially prone to judge how things are going. In the Church, the kingdom of god, uh, by by visible external, measurable indicators and metrics, We're prone to do that by what we can see. We get excited about certain things that we interpret as clearly successful. you start some new program and lots of people come or the music was great or whatever it was we we, we think of those things as clearly successful and um, We've judged it on our sight, right? It's obvious. These things are good, and and so the the church is moving forward, and the kingdom is going well. Or, alternatively, probably more frequently, we complain about things that are obviously wrong, the things that are maybe interruptions to the normal course of uh, life, right? Things, blips on the radar. Once you get past those things, then it's back to life as normal, and everything can be good again in the kingdom. But right now, things are rough because of, of X, Y, and Z, Indicators that we can see. Or we worry about trajectories that are really concerning. We should all be very concerned about lots of concerning things all the time. That basically should characterize the, the comments that we always have about the church or the kingdom. Is that, uh, well, these things are very concerning and everybody should be deeply concerned. Right? Um, anyone can look at the church and find things to complain about. Any, anyone can look at the church and find plenty of things to worry about. Anyone Christians and non-Christians alike, they, we can both conclude when you look and you see the visible signs and you say, nothing much good is happening here. That's, anybody can see it, anybody with two eyes, even one eye, maybe even blind people can see that the church, the kingdom of God, is just not going well. There's nothing much good happening here. But Jesus' teaching here should cause us to question our interpretation, our assessment, our judgment Of things, We should not rely on our own judgments about the state of the church. We do not instinctively know how to assess the kingdom of God rightly, to know how it's progressing in the world, where it's progressing in the world, or in our lives. We just don't know by looking. And Jesus said this is exactly how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be that way. That's what he's telling us. The kingdom of God is like this. This kingdom will be strange in our sight. It will be a shock to us. It will be a surprise to us. So he puts this parable before his disciples. This parable, the first one we'll look at. Uh, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took, sowed it in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds. But when it is grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. The point of that is to say that it's, it's a surprise. It's a surprise that such a small seed grows into such a glorious plant. It's such a small seed. It's insignificant, really. If you didn't know any better, you'd probably mistake it for a pebble. In and of itself, you would assess it to be of no value. You just look at this little tiny thing, almost like a piece of dust. And you would assess it to be of no value. It isn't... It isn't like it's a perfect miniature version of this great plant that it will become that's so obvious, like, look, it's just under a microscope, you can see it. Right. Um, it's not that. Its potential for growth, its potential for vitality is not obvious just by looking. It doesn't look like it can do anything at all. What use could it possibly be? Only the trained eye of the farmer would recognize what the seed even was. And even the farmer <coughs> really only knows very basically what to do with it, only a couple things to do. You sow it in the field, right? You put it in the dirt, you put some water on it. That's basically it and somehow inexplicably like magic from that little piece of almost nothing at all comes all this life and beauty, a flourishing plant that provides food and shelter and it becomes part of a thriving ecosystem. When you look at that little seed, You don't see any of that. You don't see any of it. It might never seem like much at all until one day you look and see something that you didn't see before and you wonder how that happened. And Jesus says his kingdom is strange like that. It doesn't look like much. It's weak, inert, lifeless, unimpressive, but it will be dynamic and vibrant and glorious, and you'll not necessarily understand how it got to be that way, how it went from seed to tree, how it went from basically nothing to everything. There's a surprising contrast, almost, almost a complete disconnect between the small beginnings and the final glorious state of the kingdom. It doesn't make sense to us. You can't interpret the kingdom by human sight, by human sense alone. That's what Jesus says. It's supposed to be that way. He told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures. That's about uh, 50 pounds of flour. Till it was all leavened. So Jesus teaches in this second parable that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, his own kingdom is characterized by Hidden, invisible, imperceptible growth. Right, the woman, the woman hid the yeast. She encrypted the yeast in the flour. You cannot distinguish the yeast from the flour once it's been hidden in there. You can't find it. But it's in there, and it's at work. If you look at this thing, I mean, a 50-pound lump of dough, I don't know what that would look like visually. Uh, It would be pretty big, right? But it's just a big lump. It's just just a big lump. You can't really tell there's much going on in there. External indicators of any activity are minimal. Maybe time-lapse photography would help. I don't know. Staring at it doesn't help. You need to give it time, and you need to come back and compare the slow change. The lump is being transformed. It is. From the inside out, but that transformation is uh, is difficult to detect. But here's the amazing thing. I mean, that's a lot of flour that this kingdom is compared to, this this lump of dough. <clears throat> Three measures is enough to feed over 100 people easily. And just a little starter, just a little starter, just a little leaven, a little yeast mixed in is going to change the whole thing, and it's going to make it good and pleasant for food for for a lot of people. It's going to change a lot of people's lives. Once it's in there, that little bit of yeast, once it's in there, you can't stop it. You can't find it. but You can't take it out. And Jesus says that's what his kingdom is like. It's in process. Usually you can hardly even tell it's growing or alive at all. You might easily conclude nothing good is happening here, but you'd be wrong to do that. You'd be wrong to make that conclusion. You might be discouraged and complain that it's taking so long. But this is exactly how it's supposed to work, according to Jesus. If this whole world is like a lump of dough, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is already hidden in it. It's just a matter of time now. It's just a matter of time. No one can stop it. No one can take it out. It's invisible in a lot of ways, but it's in there. And it's transforming everything. The strangeness of it, the strangeness of that, is deliberate on God's part. And it's meant to be encouraging that Jesus talks about his kingdom this way. It's meant to be encouraging to us. It's easy to get discouraged when you just look with these eyes, right? The visible indicators of how life in the kingdom, how life in the church is going, how my life as a Christian is going. That you just look and see it's easy to get discouraged. Take, for instance, the people of Israel in Egypt, the Old Testament reading that Brian read this morning. The people of Israel, they started out small, right? They're in Egypt. They're just an unimportant foreign refugee family surviving on government support. That's all they were. But then they started growing like yeast in the lump for 400 years, 400 years where not much is happening. It says in Exodus 1, verse 7, the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Sounds like yeast filling the lump of dough. Egypt saw them as a threat. The world saw God's people and uh, wanted to eradicate them, tried to stop the yeast from growing. But it said that the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. God's kingdom thrived under pretty strange conditions, we would say. Official government persecution. And God's kingdom was thriving. So Egypt, in uh, chapter 1, verse 14 of Exodus, made their lives... Bitter with hard service. Bitter. Ruthlessly made them work as slaves. How's the kingdom going now? Well, I'd be prone to complain and be discouraged, but Jesus would say this is just how his kingdom advances, his strange kingdom. Later, when Moses comes as the deliverer of God's people, he's sent by God to proclaim freedom to these captives sent by by God to proclaim freedom to the slaves, to the Israelites under Egyptian captivity, and to perform mighty works. Moses is sent as a champion to challenge and overthrow Pharaoh's power. Pharaoh is basically the ruler of the world, basically the ruler of the known world at that point, and Moses is sent to go toe-to-toe with him. What's the first thing that happens when Moses gets there? The people believe that God really is about to do something big. They get excited. They throw in behind Moses. Moses goes to Pharaoh. He proclaims the word of the Lord with clarity. And Pharaoh laughs and lays even heavier work on the people. How's the kingdom going now? And the people were demoralized, and they doubted that God was even at work at all. And even Moses prayed, why did you ever send me? It's time to abandon ship, isn't it? But God sure was at work, and someday the whole world would see it. Small beginnings, slow movement, but it was only a matter of time. No one could stop it. God would take his people to the land that he promised them, come hell or high water. Come hell and high water. Get what I did right there? The plagues and the Red Sea. Right. Okay, the whole world knows the rest of the story. Everybody knows that story. It's been made into lots of cartoons. Inexorably, over the course of time, in the most surprising and terrible ways, frightening ways, God wrested his people away from their enemy, their oppressor, and he took them out of the kingdom of darkness and he brought them into the land of abundance. That's how he rolls. He's the king, and he chooses his kingdom to work in this way, in ways that don't make much sense to us, in ways that we usually can't detect, in ways we'd probably be prone to complain about, in ways we certainly can't manufacture for ourselves. We can't do this the way God is doing it, all to show that to him and to him alone belong the the kingdom and the power and the glory. It might seem strange to us, but Jesus assures us that it is deliberate. It is intentional. And you see this ultimately in Jesus. In his own life, in the person of the true king. You see his kingdom, his way of working. Talk about small seed beginnings. You probably could mistake Nazareth for a pebble. Right? There's... Nothing going on there. What good can come out of Nazareth? Like his ancestor, the shepherd boy who's overlooked out in the field's youngest son, David, who couldn't possibly be of any interest as a king. David became a king. Nobody would have taken him for king, but he became king. Nobody would have taken Jesus for king either. He had no former majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. The whole world turned away from him. He was homeless through most of his ministry. As recorded in the Gospels, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey that he didn't even own. He borrowed it. Borrowed donkey, not on a war horse. People got pretty excited about him and expected big things, thinking that he was going to maybe go toe-to-toe with Caesar like Moses did with Pharaoh, a new Moses to deliver the nation, this time from Rome. But, but then Jesus was betrayed by a friend He was handed over to his enemies. He was publicly humiliated and nailed up to die a traitor's death, a criminal's death, exposed for a fraud, isn't he? Hanging there on the cross. How's your kingdom going now, Jesus? Every single person who looked on would have concluded nothing much good is happening here. Time to abandon ship. It's just the world going on as usual, a big old lump of dough. But the yeast was in the lump. The king was in the world, doing his work that nobody could even perceive until it had been finished, and that's what the kingdom of God is like. A homeless guy riding on a donkey into a city full of people who want to murder him. An outcast executed by the government a nobody lying in a borrowed tomb dead whose resurrection changes everything. When Jesus was raised from the dead, it began to dawn on people. They started to realize what all of this had meant all along. They started to understand the kingdom was in their midst after all, but after the fact. Then they could look back on Jesus' kingship, his life, his words, his ministry. Then they could look back and say, they yeah, are not sure how we could have missed it. We don't know how it got from there to here, but here it is. It really had been in process. It had been deliberate. It had been in process, this thing that had looked so puny and inert before, especially when Jesus was laying there dead in the, empty, in, the, in the borrowed tomb. It really had been in process, this kingdom of his. And it happened again when the church went from basically 12 idiots to 2 billion people. It hasn't always been pretty, can always point to stuff to complain about, but nothing can stop it. The crazy thing is that we ignore that dynamic about the kingdom like none of this ever happened this way. We assess the situation, we interpret the state of the church, we judge the circumstances of our lives spiritually in the, the kingdom by whatever external visible indicators make the most sense to us to seem most obvious and it strikes us that not much good is happening so we complain and we worry and we say everybody should be concerned the church is full of sinful broken people the church is stagnating dwindling, ineffective getting a bad name how's the kingdom going now time to abandon ship Maybe you've been praying for years for someone to come to faith and they just told you they never want to hear about Jesus again from you. How's the kingdom going now? Maybe you've been struggling with oppressive, enslaving sins for years. You're failing, uh, feeling like you're making no progress at all in holiness, sanctification, growth as a Christian. How's the kingdom going now? Is God even at work here? Maybe you're discouraged. Close to giving up on the kingdom, on the church, on your friends, on your spouse, on the whole world, on God. Because things are obviously falling apart. This place is a nightmare. All indicators are that it's just a big lump sitting there doing nothing. But that's just what Jesus' strange kingdom is like. It's doing what it's always done. done. Working and growing invisibly but Unstoppably. Jesus is making all things new. And one day you'll be able to look back and see it. One day. And until then, you can trust what he says about how his kingdom works. On his blood, his kingdom will not fail. Come hell and high water, his kingdom will not fail. On, On his new life, his everlasting life, his kingdom will not fail. You should believe that. You should take heart. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that these words would, um, even if they're confusing to us about why Jesus' kingdom would be this way, even if it doesn't make any sense to us, we pray that it would be comfort uh, to us, that your Spirit would take the words of Christ and apply them to our heart, that you would help us to find rest in knowing that even these things that seem very strange to us are all part of your plan, and they always have been, and that you are growing your church. And nothing can stop it. We pray that this would be encouraging to us and to all of our friends as they come to know Jesus and what kind of king he is, what kind of kingdom he has. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.